0: We're going to be uh, zooming through uh, Genesis tonight, or this morning, excuse me, not tonight. If you want to come back tonight, you can, but this morning. And we're going to look at an example that wasn't perfect, but we can learn a lot from this example. And this is an example with Jacob. It says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you, when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me, in the way which i have gone now what in the world we're jumping in right in the middle of the story first of all bethel is a very important place it's about 12 miles north of jerusalem and it's described as a bleak moorland i guess you would say in the hill country as someone has described it it stands about 1200 feet above sea level where the winds A blow uh, and whistle about its large exposed rocks. So it's not the prettiest place and nicest place to be. But to understand this passage in Genesis. We've got to go back 30 years. So we're going to be covering a lot of scripture. To the time when Jacob first went to Bethel. And at that time he was fleeing for his life. Why? Because... We'll go back to the beginning with his mother and father, Isaac and Rebekah. You remember, and Isaac was the son of Abraham. And so it says Rebekah was with children. But the children struggled together within her in Genesis 25, 22, and 23. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? She didn't understand what was going on. So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two nations. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Catch that last one. The older shall serve, not The younger serve the older. The older shall serve the younger. This was not common. Here we're going to be looking at the home and the family of Jacob. Jacob's father was Isaac. Mother was Rebekah. Isaac was the son of Abraham and Sarah. The son of promise that God had given them by a miracle in their old age. You remember? Beyond childbearing. And Isaac was to be a father of a great nation. So Abraham instructed his servant to get a bride for his son from among kinfolk back at Haran. Or Haran, the servant, unerringly guided by God, brought back Rebekah to be the bride of Isaac. So that's where it began. He wanted a kinfolk there. He didn't want him marrying among the heathen. So we take up the thread of their story when they are expecting their first child the birth of Esau and Jacob and the mother of uh, Rebecca the father Isaac they're seeing this war going on or she's feeling this war going on within her and uh, it says God said that two nations were to come out of this family and two nations did come out And the two children were Jacob and Esau, Esau being the first to come. Esau was a man of the flesh, was outwardly far more attractive, they say, than Jacob. He was an outdoorsman, you know, uh, this athletic type. And he was a popular guy, you know, extrovert, a man of the world. In contrast, Jacob, he was, we'd say, a man of the Spirit. And although that is not apparent at the beginning, let me tell you, he was still considered a man of the Spirit. When we first meet him, he's actually much less attractive than Esau, and he is a very clever person, he's a very self-opinionated person, and he's crooked as can be. Not that his spine was out of whack, but he's just crooked as an individual. And some of you don't take this wrong way. He was a mama's boy. You'll find out what I mean by that in just a few moments. How were the sons received in the family? It says, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Hmm. In this family, both parents had their favorites. Have you ever seen that in a family? Maybe you've experienced it in your family. Some are just more easier to deal with than others. And if we're not uh, careful, we're attracted to those people. Now, in my family, it seemed they said that I was the favored son, Joseph. And I don't believe that. But they said that but I was probably a lot like my uncle and that's why my mom was attracted to him because he was always, well, kind of like Esau, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and so she wasn't attracted to the easier one to, get, uh, to deal with, she was attracted to the harder one to deal with. And I tell them that she was attracted to that because I was always being hurt or getting in trouble, or whatever, and she had to get me, uh, take care of me. So anyway uh, they weren't identical twins they were opposites god said before they were born that two nations i have chosen the younger and the older will serve him that is his grace people that is his grace jacob knowing god's promise though so, i mean his mother had told him i'm sure of this because she had been told by god still connived for the right of the firstborn. That was his nature, wasn't it? So birthrights were usually very important to the children. And having the birthright usually meant that the one possessing it became the priest of the family, the head of the family. And it guaranteed uh, that he would uh, receive the promises made to the father. And here the ultimate promise we know of, they surely didn't understand all of it, was that the Messiah would come through this line. But Esau, being a man of the flesh, it says he he cared less about what might happen a thousand years from then. About his birthrights. Esau came in from hunting. He was hungry. He wasn't starving to death in the sense of if he didn't eat, he would die. He came in and he smelt Jacob's cooking. And so in turn, he took it, Jacob took advantage of this hungry brother. When he smelled the aroma of his brother's cooking, he wanted it. He was tired, he was hungry. Now, you, you get nothing I mean, you've got to understand that you got nothing from Jacob unless you paid for it. He was that type of conniving and uh, you know bargaining type of person. And so Jacob bargained. I'll let you have it if you'll let me have that birthright that you don't care about. That's basically what he's saying. Esau so despised his birthright, it says, that he said, you can have it. It means nothing to me. Thus Jacob buys that which God had already promised him. How many times do we try to outmaneuver people and things and even God to get what maybe God has already promised us? We're no different than Jacob in a lot of ways. Jacob didn't stop there. When old Isaac was about to die, um, we see that he and his mother uh, schemed to to get what they had really been promised, the blessing. Their father, Isaac, had said to Esau, or so he thought, he said, and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat in, in Genesis 27, verse 4, that my soul may bless you before I die. Rebekah and Jacob collaborated together in this deception, the mother and the son. The thief of the blessing was the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. It turned Jacob's brother against him. Not that Esau really cared about his blessing that much, but he hated that uh, Jacob did this to him. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing that which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. In other words, he hated it that he got it. He outmaneuvered him. And so he knew that his father was old. He didn't want to hurt him in any way and push him into the grave by doing something that he shouldn't do. So he says, you know, when my dad dies, he said, I'm going to kill my brother. Now when Rebekah heard about this threat to her favorite son, she said to Jacob, Now therefore, in verse 43 and 44, Genesis 27, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. So she told him to go there for just a few days you see catch that just a few days but the days turned into years 20 years and unfortunately in the meantime rebecca died she never saw her boy again so there is a unique experience here that we need to understand and that is his encounter. Jacob's encounter when he leaves home. Remember, the boy had never left home. He was a home boy. He stayed inside. He didn't live outside like Esau. He didn't live in the rough. You know, He didn't live in the woods. He didn't live in that wild country or countryside. And so in turn... This boy leaves home and spends his first night out. And he spends it in this rugged place called Bethel. And that night, he dreams of a ladder set up on earth with angels on it. And there's something unique about that with the angels. If you'll see, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know this. Well, what was the dream? He saw this ladder, and the angels were what? Were ascending and descending. Now, don't you think that the angels should have been descending and then ascending? But they were ascending and descending. And the reason there is, is the angels take the prayer to God, the ladder we can uh, is our Lord Jesus Christ, and the angels are taking it up and bringing the answer back down. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep. It says and said, "Surely in verse uh, chapter twenty eight, verse sixteen, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. That's very important. I did not know it. In other words, the God that was with me." With my father and my father's father is with me here. He has been with me. Even though I'm running, he is with me. He is telling this lonesome, homesick boy that there is grace and mercy with God. Aren't you glad that there is grace and mercy with God? We don't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. But God didn't give up on him. And he doesn't give up on us. And we see that he still has access to God. His prayers will be heard. And his prayers will be answered. God, in other words, has not forsaken him. Nor does he forsake us. I mean, you look at Romans. Let's just take a a quick detour here. Romans chapter 10. And Paul discusses the matter the nation of Israel, and especially the boys and his brother Esau, and he says in chapter 10, verse 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks to this way, or in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, bring Christ down from above. You do not have to bring Christ down the ladder today. He is available to us all, isn't he? Aren't you glad for that? He is our great and wonderful high priest, but he is with us at all times, right where you're sitting right now. And then he says in verse 7, or who, is, who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. He's already been raised. He's with us. And one day we will be raised with him into glory. He's already back from the dead. Romans 10, 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is a word of faith that we preach. Such is the gospel that we preach today. The gospel of the ladder reaching to heaven. God is available through Jesus Christ. And he alone. There is nothing between us and God once we come through Jesus Christ. Jesus has taken care of it all on Calvary. He is what? God promised to be with him. And imagine God promising to be with this clever, self-opinionated person who thinks he knows everything. In verse chapter 28, verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. God says in essence, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. You don't run away from me. I know exactly where you are at all times. Believe me, God knew. And God dealt with this boy. Notice the reaction of this Runaway boy. He was frightened. It says in verse 17, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is his place. Man, I cannot believe it. Wow. God is here. You know, I think that's the reason why some people will not come to church or Bible study. We can have a hundred and one excuses. But the real reason is that we don't want to get close to God. Because if we get close to God, then God's going to deal with us. And we just don't want that. Listen, Jacob. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of of Heaven in Genesis 28:17. This is Bethel, the house of God. Such was his experience. But he doesn't give up. I mean just because a person meets the Lord, he doesn't automatically, when we're saved, it doesn't mean that we never make mistakes anymore, does it? And doesn't mean that we don't deal with our old nature. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, "If God will be with me and keep me in this way, that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I uh, come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord be my God. In chapter 28, verses 20 and 21. He can't help but trade. He's a trader. Even after God promises to, to be with him and to do it for him, he turns right around and he says, if God will do this for me, then he will be my God." always trying to swap out, always trying to m- maneuver and manipulate, always depending on himself to work something out. However, this experience at Bethel is a high point in his life, and many scholars believe this is when his conversion came. On to Iran he went. And he didn't know that he was about to enter college. The College of Hard Knocks. The professor of the course was Jacob's uncle. And he didn't know all of this was to occur. But he was to meet his match. So when Jacob arrives in Haran, he meets a girl, Rachel. She comes to the well with her father's sheep. And Jacob waters the sheep. And he kisses Rachel and lifts his voice and weeps. And it is love at first sight. Oh, man, he just swings. Woo, I'm just in love, you know. She is the only fine thing in this man's life at this time. After many years, I have a son, Joseph. Later, Benjamin is born at Bethlehem. And this will cause her her life. She dies there. And is buried there. But now Jacob is a young fellow, though. And he's just met the love of his life. Jacob doesn't know it, but he's in school now. And here, the nephew who has come from a far country, he is a guest for only a few days. He had expected to be treated in style, but what happens? In chapter 29, verse 15, Because you are my relatives, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what would your wages be. What are you talking about? I didn't come here to serve man I came here to be treated nice. I'm a relative I'm not here to work. He got out he was tricked that was just the beginning. Then Laban he saw how he looked at uh, Rachel and and so uh, Jacob uh, you know he wanted uh, Rachel and so he he asked for her hand in marriage, and Jacob fell right into line for Laban and his tricks. I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your youngest daughter. Well, it says that they only seemed but a few days to him. I mean, he was truly in love. Seven years passed. And but before that, we see that something happened. At the evening of the wedding arranged the bride comes out heavily veiled the wedding night passes and in the cruel light of the day Jacob sees a bride but it's not Rachel Woo-hoo! it's Leah my high goodness yeah scared him to death too but Laban <laughs> Laban is right there to explain everything he says I forgot to tell you there's this one thing. uh, That in our country it's custom that the oldest daughter must be married first. So you'll have to take her first. Well, that boy is beginning to learn what he had been dishing out. This is really his first big lesson. He refused submission to God. And it got him in a lot of trouble. And he needed to learn that. And so we see that. Uh, he asked for he you know to work and, and to have Rachel's hand and so he he worked there and and he eventually got to marry Rachel and and he uh, went on and served there 20 years and and so he decides to leave and he, he leaves with his family and and he's just had enough and then uh laban he's mad and boy he comes after him he's ready to take his life and it says in genesis 31 41 thus i have been in your house they meet together he catches up with them for 20 years i served you 14 years for your two dollars and six years for your flock and you have changed my wages 10 times i'm fed up with it jacob is through at haran he has had an excellent education he's finished with his uncle And Jacob uh, resumes his journey. And so as he does, he's coming back home. And he knows that he's got to meet Esau. And so he's afraid there. And he says, speak thus to my lord Esau. He's telling his servants. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Very important in that Uh, Genesis 32 4 and 5 it says speak to my Lord Esau boy a little bit different expression there isn't it how he's meeting him and then it says I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight and so in turn thus your servant Jacob says your servant Lord Esau wow this and then they they go and they talk to him and they come back. Then the messengers return to Jacob in thirty-two six, Genesis thirty-two six, and saying, We come to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, but he's coming to meet you with four hundred men with him. Uh oh. That scares him there. I mean it would you too. You'd left in the wrong light and now you're returning and then all of a sudden there's revenge to be taken and so jacob was greatly in 32 7 was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that were with him and flocks and herds and camels into two companies and of course the reason for this was to protect his family then jacob said oh my god are, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal with you. I am not worthy of the least of all mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies in Genesis 32, 9 and 10. In other words, he's humbling himself. He's seeing the, uh, that he's not worthy of any of the compassion that God has given him. I mean, that's a tremendous testimony. And then he meets with, of course, the st- story goes on, and he meets with uh, uh, his brother. And when he, uh, you know, he, in the meantime, during this time, he had met with the Lord and when he saw that he, uh, he wrestled with the Lord, it says, and when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. The Lord did, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him in Genesis 32, 25. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will let you go, or I won't let you go unless you bless me. What happens? Jacob is holding on. He's not wrestling. He's just holding on to the Lord preincarnate he found out that you don't get anywhere with God by struggling and resisting you can't do that you can't do it your way the only way that you can get anywhere with God is by yielding and submitting to him and then the lord said To him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. He's not Jacob anymore, any longer. He's not the usurper or the trickster, but Israel. You have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And now the new nature of Israel will be manifested in the life of this man. What has happened here? Well, we see that Jacob has met the Lord. He comes back to Bethel. And the, what we need to learn as, as fathers and as leaders and as men, we need to first of all understand that we have a God who cares. He's not a God out to get us. He's a God who is out to change us, to make us better, to understand how we're to live and help us and guide us along that way. We're, we have a God who will never leave us, but repeatedly shows, will show His mercy and His grace to us. We don't deserve it. But to understand that, we've got to have that Bethel experience. We've got to have that relationship with God. Have you today had that relationship with God? Have you come through the ladder? Have you come through Jesus Christ and come to God? If not, then you can't be the man or the father that God intended for you to be because it's got to be through him. He has the way. He has a direction. And we need to understand, third, that, that we don't get anywhere with God by struggling. Once we come to God, it's not our way and God, you come along. It's God's way and we come along. And we resist and we struggle, then we run into difficulties and we cause problems and, and we, we cause irritations and we cause even disasters in our life and in our family's life if we're not careful. We need to consistently be going to our Bethel. We need to be fathers who go there and our children see that we praise and worship God. As Ann said, let them know that you worship a God. Let them know what you're doing. Let them know when you're praying at the the foot of their bed over their soul for them to be saved while you're doing it. Don't be ashamed if they hear you. Let them know of of, of the struggles in your life, many of the struggles in life, and how God has brought you along the way, and how He has helped you, and how, how miraculous they are. And then... When you have failed, tell them that you failed. Let them know that you are not perfect. But God, in His mercy and in His grace, has forgiven you. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to help us to start all over again. Let them know this. I think that we... Or a society that is afraid to say that we're wrong today at times. That we've made mistakes. Yes, we have. There's only one perfect one, and that is God. Let them know this and how much God cares and still loves them. Even through that. And then help them with their experiences. When they have difficulties, oh, Ann said, making mistakes. I look back at my children, I see how many mistakes. I like what Swindoll says, shame that grandparents can't raise kids, you know, after their their grandparents. Because you've learned so much. Not that you're perfect, but that you've learned so much. You see, I see so many mistakes I've made. If, not just getting on to the child, is it? How many of you had a parent sit down boy? you said, oh, no, here comes the talk? Yeah. But how many of you learned from that talk? You know, it's it's a lot easier just to get on to the kid. A lot of times I wanted the spanking and just go outside because I didn't learn anything. But to sit down and to talk with them and to say... And some of them say, oh no, here comes the God's story again. Well, that's good. Later on, the God's story will become necessary in their life. Son, this is, what, ha, ha, this is what you've done. You know, I remember when I was doing this and my parents corrected me this way. And I learned later how God helped me through that. And I want to tell you, He can help you also why don't we just pray about that why don't why don't we just what let's do a little Bible story time and let's just look up and see what God says about that and how he can help you through that and what it does to God you see it's hurt me son but it's also hurt him and you need to be restored in that fellowship He's there, waiting on your coming and asking for forgiveness. And son, I just want you to recognize that I'm here and I'm accepting you. But you've got to understand where you've done wrong, so that you can be stronger next time. God will help you to be stronger next time if you rely on Him. And you just take them through one story, one event. One journey after another. Bringing them back to Bethel. To the God who has helped you. Wished I'd done that more. I know I was a failure at times. And I know that I slipped. And I know that I didn't do what I should have done. I wished I had been more a journeyman. Sharing with them which way to go. What God has done. Bringing them back to that Bethel. You do that. Fathers, we need to do that. Men, we need to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.